Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Megan. Are you excited to be back in everyone's feed unexpectedly today? I am. We're just here every day this week. We're here. We're just we're not leaving you alone. Um, Again, if you're just like listening to this and didn't listen yesterday, you're sort of in the middle of our three part series on toddler feeding challenges. Uh, Yesterday, we talked about transitions. Today, we're diving into picky eating. I wouldn't say you have to listen in order, but there's a lot of setup and context in yesterday's episode. So you might want to give that one a listen. I think so. Um, it was mostly us telling you all that whatever you're going through is probably a transition, a, a, some kind of a change, and it's probably normal. So, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's just like our common theme through this whole series and basically yeah. our whole show is like, yep, it's normal. And maybe here's how to deal with it a little bit better and are a little happier. Right. So yeah. I think one of the things that we've really learned as moms of between us eight kids and um, and that we've learned that everyone really needs to hear is that there are tips and strategies to make all this a little more tolerable, a little more fun, a little less stressful. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, um, it's just so normal for these things to happen. And a lot of it isn't really in our control. And I think one of the things that parents can feel the most out of control around when it has to do with eating is when their kids are quote picky eaters, unquote. And yeah. I know there's like a lot, that's a very loaded term. Um, but that is like, you know, little ones, toddlers, not wanting to eat what's in front of them, having strong food preferences, having strong food, not preferences. They're just, it's so normal. It's, it's so normal. And, um, so much so that I know there in some circles, there's some pushback even against that label picky eating. And we're using it just kind of, cause it's, it's quick and easy. And I think, I think we all know what we mean, which is having those strong preferences, maybe changing your preferences Um, and moving through different stages throughout toddlerhood and well into the big kid years. Um, But I think one of the reasons that some people push back is it makes it sound like there's something wrong with you as a parent feeding your kid or something wrong with your kid 
when in fact there's some incredibly developmentally normal reasons for kids to be experimenting with different likes and dislikes and how they communicate those likes and dislikes. So, I mean, I think we throw that term around because it's, it's easy. And, and to be honest, it applies to my kids. I do have some kids in my family who are picky eaters, but I think we know that there's a lot more under the surface of that label. And we'll, we'll dig in to that today. I just want to say that if you are, if you have made it through the first year of feeding a baby and you kind of introduced solids and you're feeling pretty good and your baby or your young toddler still eats everything you put in front of them, it can be really a rude awakening to have a, a toddler, an older toddler or a preschooler whose tastes completely change. And in fact, whose palate really narrows, um, that can be really hard. I don't think my babies were that great of adventurous eaters as, as much as other people I've talked to where, you know, they were eating enchiladas off our plate and sushi and all these things that we'd introduced. So mine maybe didn't backslide quite as much, but I definitely experienced that, that kind of, it seems sudden and it's a real narrowing to where like they eat like three things and they used to eat 47 things. It's, it can be hard. Well, and I think you and I both talked about in the last episode, how a lot of that is that we're losing control while they're taking control. And that's so developmentally normal. It might really not have much to do with their palate. It might just have to do with the fact that like suddenly I get to say, and today I say this, it's not like they don't ever wear the red, blue or green shirt because they hate (laughs) red, blue and green. It's just that they want you to know they like yellow today (laughs) and they're going to wear yellow, you know, and they're in charge. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Our content partners over at Baby Center actually asked moms on their Facebook page what surprised them most about feeding toddlers and this, um, this thinking that they had things like kind of under control in terms of pickiness and then an inexplicable slide into extreme selective eating was a really common, a common thread for people. It's like they had, they thought to expect it and then it didn't happen. It's like, great. My one-year-old still eats veggies and this and that. And then I'm not saying it's going to happen to everybody, but it's almost going to happen to everybody or, or a vast majority of kids at some point. Well, and I also think, um, it's really good to think forward. Like we always talk about the big picture, Sarah. And, uh, I was very picky in some ways as a kid, but now I am quite an adventurous eater. I'll eat almost Mm -hmm. anything except for the things I've decided I don't ever need to eat. But like, that's on me to decide. I would not say I have a limited palate in any way, shape or form. And I think sometimes we forget that like the, the, the stage that's right in front of you right now is a, is just going to be a blip. And Mm -hmm. it really doesn't mean anything about the way, just like we've said before with sleep, you know, just because they're terrible sleepers right now, or they'll only sleep six hours at night or whatever, that doesn't mean that's how it's going to be when they're five or 10 or, you know, whatever, or maybe they only sleep an hour at night. Like that's, you're not doomed to that for the rest of your life and you don't have to fix it for them necessarily. Um, a lot of these things do work themselves out. And I just think that's really important to keep an eye on as we're going into these tips that you can mitigate a lot of this stuff. And there's definitely strategies that work. Um, but even if they don't appear to be working right now, when you have a 14 month old or a 16 month old or an 18 month old, that doesn't mean you're going to have a six year old who won't eat anything. So I just think that that's really kind of important to keep in mind. Um, so before we dive in, we are welcoming back our sponsor for this special series, Horizon Organic. Yeah. So, you know, Megan, I always love talking about picky eating with toddlers because it is such a classic parenting concern and for a reason. Developmentally, it's totally normal for toddlers to show huge food preferences and for those preferences to sometimes change like by the hour. Yeah. Or sometimes a toddler will really dig in and decide only to eat 
orange food for like two years. But either way, it is completely normal and common. But even though it's so common, it's still hard not to worry if you are the parent of the one-year-old who doesn't seem to eat anything, which is why I love the Growing Years line of dairy products just for kids at a variety of different ages from our sponsor, Horizon Organic. These milk products, which include whole milk, 2% milk, yogurt pouches and drinks, and shelf-stable to-go milk boxes are all certified USDA organic and developed in partnership with pediatricians. And they also contain DHA for brain and eye health, choline to help the DHA get where it needs to go in the body, and prebiotics to help support good bacteria in your little one's digestive system. Yeah, so DHA is an omega-3 fatty acid that's really crucial to help support brain health, especially during that stage of toddlerhood where your little one's brain is growing fast. I'd say DHA was really just starting to get on everyone's radar when my kids were little, and I did sometimes stress about whether they were getting enough in the foods they were eating. And I've been reading a lot lately about gut health, which we're learning more about all the time, and it's been linked to so many different functions. So it's great to know that something as simple as the milk you choose to put in your toddler's cup can help support their digestion with those prebiotics. Milk was always one of those things my kids would happily drink even during their pickiest phases. And we know how much today's preschoolers love their yogurt pouches and smoothies. So this is a simple way to breathe a little easier during those tricky stages. Yeah, if you've got one of those toddlers who's showing strong food preferences, having those extra nutrients makes the Horizon Organic Growing Years line a great option for building nutrition into their daily diet, even while you're navigating a pickier stage. You can find out more about all the Growing Years products, including Growing Years Whole Milk, at horizon.com slash growing years. Again, that's horizon.com slash growing years. Okay, Sarah. So I just want to lead into this section um, of the episode by saying that I know the drum we're both beating is that this is normal. This is normal. This is normal. And I, we could say that about so many different things developmentally, especially around toddlerhood, because like we've said, they're just little freaks of nature at that age. Um, but while it's really, really normal, it's also totally okay that you're stressed. So like, I, yeah. I don't ever want it to feel like we're downplaying that stress or making it sound like you shouldn't be worried about it. Um, we get it. It's literally the fuel mm -hmm. of your babies. You know, your toddler is still a baby in many, mm -hmm. many ways. And it's the fuel that keeps them alive. Like, yeah. of course we stress about it. And it doesn't help that there's a lot of external pressure on moms to make, you know, from their pediatricians or their mothers-in-law or their mothers mm -hmm. or their friends at playgroup or whatever to make sure their toddlers are getting the right kinds of foods at the right time, which doesn't always even just mean, you know, the basic bare bones calories and nutrients they need, but like all this additional stuff and the right balance of, you know, antioxidants and like different vitamins, all these, there's a lot going on. And like we've also mentioned, their brains and bodies are just rapidly developing during this phase. So we totally get why this is so loaded. Um, and so while we want to like, kind of ease everyone's mind a little bit and normalize things like we also get we just get that this is a big deal. Yeah. And I don't think we would ever want to suggest that you just throw up your hands and wait for it to be over, which even though we're saying like, yes, you can write it out. And yes, these things, this too shall pass. And I know everybody out there is tired of hearing that. I don't think either you or I is of the mind that you just you just give up. Um, I think right. No, it feels good. It, it, at least to me and my personality, it feels good to try some little tips or tricks or strategies because it feels like caring for my kids. And I think where I hope moms can land is kind of non-attachment to those tips and strategies, like mm -hmm. knowing that they may or may not work, but it's, it's a way that you can show love to your family by let's, let's try something new this week. Let's, yeah. 
let's Google this. Let's. So I also don't want to devalue the hard work moms are doing to try to be better for their kids. But I, it is, it's like, it's a tricky line because we want everybody to know they'll probably outgrow it and it's all going to be okay. But in the meantime, you deserve to feel good about the way you're taking care of your family. So um, let's dive into some tips and strategies for, shall we say, mitigating some food choosiness. And also I think we'll focus a lot on what moms can do for their own like state of mind around picky eating. Cause so much of picky eating is power struggles. And if you're going in white knuckled and like, this is something you're going to tame it, you're going to squash it, you're going to control it. Um, I think it can lead to a lot of tears and not just from the children. Um, so <laughs> what? yeah. Um, I, I know for me, I've always tried to kind of focus on myself and my own mindset about food and it has not been, easy, but I kind of come back to what kind of food culture do I want in my family? And, and how do I, how do I want my kids eventually to launch out into the world as people who enjoy eating, who find fun and adventure through food? Um, but that's hard when you're like staring down an 18 month old who refuses to take one more bite or whatever. Right. And you can't see, you can't see the through line to 18 years old. Or right. however it's going to look when you have that great family food culture. Because let's just be honest, your family food culture is not going to look like much to like, you know, get excited about right. when you have toddlers at the table. Yeah. <laughs> even if, but even if that's what you're working toward, it, it's a long um, route that sometimes takes some jagged, I guess, paths, right? That don't, mm -hmm. it's not linear. Um, I also think it's really important that we kind of set up that there is this ideal scenario um, for how like, I know, you know, we've got a lot of people who listen who are really into building food culture and kind of disarming this control issue around food, which has been shown to lead to a lot of problemed and just disordered eating um, mm -hmm. throughout kids' lives into adulthood. So we know now that there is kind of this ideal, at least embraced by a lot of people, that the mom's job is to offer a variety of foods and then the kid's job is to eat what they want until they're full. So the mom decides what and where, and the kid decides, I believe it's how much, what and how much. I don't know. Which like the mom gives much. it. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and I do agree that if we all try to do each other's jobs too much, like if I try to worry too much about the how much they eat or which they pick off the plate, then I set myself up for a power struggle and between the two of us and there's negative emotions around food. Just like if I allowed them to dictate to me what I put on the plate, then yeah. that's, you know, that just reverses it. But I think it's also important to point out that none of us really feel good when our kids won't eat the stuff we put on their plate. And I just want to acknowledge that, like that it's, I think personally, not being a food expert, um, that it's okay to have expectations. I think that where I, where it starts to become problematic is like when the, con the control situation starts to revolve around mom's feelings. Like it becomes manipulative almost. And that's why like in the last episode, I said, it's okay to set a boundary or to have a rule or to set a limit, but then not to get super frazzled about it. Mm -hmm. So like, if you've like, it's okay for you to ask something of your child, but like probably not a great idea to take it really personally if they mm -hmm. don't follow it. Yes. And just like you said earlier, Sarah, in I think the last episode, this is nothing different than any other disciplinary or family culture or developmental issue we run into. Food is really not different. It's, mm -hmm. it all is the same. Like the same rules you apply to a kid having a, a tantrum in a public park mm -hmm. 
um, can apply to your kid refusing food at home. It's not going to look exactly the same, but like that detachment, but like a gentle detachment, like a yeah. caring, loving, gentle detachment mm-hmm. yeah. is probably been the best thing for me as I've navigated this. So I just do feel like there's a little bit of a happy middle ground. There have been times that I have asked my kids, please just take one more bite before you leave the table. And, um, and I don't think that's like, they're linking that with control or a power struggle or stress. It's just like, I made a request of them. They did it because they want to get down. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. I think where it gets to be at one end of the extreme or the other is where it starts causing issues. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and we've come a long way from clean your plate. Um, like, you know, I, I mean, there's stories from my parents' generation, really sad stories actually about, about the way food was like expected to be eaten no matter what. And I think we, I think we can all pat ourselves on the back. Our, our understanding has evolved quite a bit and our relationship with our kids and our, the importance we place on their relationship with food. We just know a lot more. We know a lot more so we can do a lot better. And what I'm hearing you say is like, you're not going to mess it all up. Um, by not following the book to a T if it doesn't fit with your stage of life or your family dynamic. Right. Absolutely. And I think that, and I think to your point, Sarah, it's so good that that research and evolution is out there because it's, it's shown us a different way to be and to do things. But I think just like anything else in the parenting playbook, we still have a little power to take what works. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Just because it's food doesn't take that away from us. It's, it's, it is important, but it's, it's equally as important as anything else. Yeah. And, you know, as you said that I'm realizing we're talking a lot to moms of toddlers in this episode. I think one of the things you can take or leave for yourself is just to wait. Um, I think the toddler years are super intense. And I think sometimes we read these parenting books um, that maybe we're trying to um, put a system on our, our growing family that really makes a lot more sense when like everybody can sit at the table for 15 minutes without crying. Like it's also (laughs) totally within your power to be like, Oh, this sounds like a great philosophy around family meals. I'm going to try this when my youngest child is out of diapers. And I've totally done that with things where it's like, we we've got some time here. So if we're in the survival trenches years, um, maybe tuck it away if it's not fitting you right now. So, um, I guess for me, one of my first big tips goes back to that. Like you said, like compassionate, non-attachment to the, to the strategies you're trying. So we're going to offer some strategies, some classic ones you've probably heard of, but I guess my first tip would be to get really clear about what's at the apex of your priorities pyramid. I don't know if it's a pyramid it's, or it's the center of your circle. Um, so for me, it might be talking to my healthcare provider to make sure my kid is like, you know, getting enough to stay alive and grow. So that would be an important one. (laughs) Not get scurvy or rickets. I'm just really, just really obsessed with those. Yes, exactly. Like that might be just, that's okay. That's one of the fundamentals. And maybe I only pick one other one, which is maybe a conversation with my co-parent or my partner about like, what is our family culture around food? What do we, what do we want in the future? And, and what's important about like toddler eating? Like is, is sitting at the table important? Is trying everything on your plate important? Whatever it is, you get to decide. But once those fundamental things have been cleared up with your healthcare provider, your co-parent, I feel like then you have to take every other strategy you read about on Instagram or in a blog post or on this podcast, and you almost have to be at arm's length with it. Like, okay, this week we're going to try, um, you know, we're going to try giving the kids more control over, you know, which fruits and veggies to put on their plate. Next week, we're going to try this. 
And you, and I think you'll, you'll be so much happier if you don't go into those tips and strategies thinking they're going to change the world in your house, but rather just like a curiosity, like a, like a, um, a smiling faced curiosity about it. Like, well, this might work this, but you know what I mean? Like this very, like a placid curiosity. Well, and can I also say that it's all right for those, that family culture or those values to change. Like when your kids are really little, say your value around food might be, we eat, um, homemade meals at home because we believe they're healthier and they're what we need for our family budget or whatever. And then maybe as your kids get older, you're like, we want to, you know, we want to really like raise world global citizens who are interested in like other, um, cultures food. And we want to make eating out a bigger part and traveling mm-hmm. a bigger part of, but that doesn't, you don't have to be figuring all that out when you've got a 16 month old, like you've yes. got time. Um, you've got time to not only evolve that, but to completely change it and decide that's not what's important to you anymore. And that's okay too. So like you can have multiple. In fact, I kind of sometimes think the more of those kind of value systems you try on when they're little, the more interesting things get as they get older and the mm-hmm. more experiences they will have had. So I just think that those are really good things to explore. And you're right. They can be very separate from the actual fears around if they're getting the vitamins they need. Yeah. Those are two very different things. Yeah. Because um, your kids could be like really adventurous eaters and still only eat like the most basic things from each new food group they try. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily going to be like all yay on the veggies. So, well, I also want to touch on like, tried and true tips, because I know that those are things that everyone's heard a million times. And I guess I just want to say, just like a stereotype, there's a reason certain tips uh, make it into all the parenting magazines and all of the posters in your pediatrician's office and all those things. So like a, some of them I'll throw out would be like cut food into interesting shapes Mm -hmm. or offer foods that are like in bright colors because little kids are, you know, attracted by bright colors offer smaller portions, offer dipping sauces, offer, you know, there's this like, there's a lot. And I know that every mom who's listening right now, who has spent any time with parenting media of any kind knows exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, yes, tried it all. My kid actually hates interesting shapes and they hate color even more. And I get it. And I don't have time or whatever, because I don't have full time. Like, I think there's, (laughs) there can be a real resistance to like, well, gosh, it's not, I don't want to have a part-time job like convincing my kid to eat a sandwich by cutting it into little star shapes. And I can get a real, both you and I can be very trend diverse and we can, I can get a real like, um, resistance streak about doing something that I think won't work because if it was really that magical, like it would have worked by now. Um, it would have worked by now. Yeah. Yeah. But let this podcast be a reminder that there is, like you said, there is a reason why some of these things are recommended. And if you haven't tried them in a, in a couple months, maybe try them again, try giving dinner in the muffin tin, cut up into little cubes or whatever. Yes. You never know. And, and something that your, your, you know, 16 month old absolutely rejected your 20 month old might love, but you know, they might've loved it anyway. It's, it's just hard to know. Um, I think that I do think that repeated exposure mm-hmm. is helpful because you never know how long it's going to take for something to take. So try all those, like try all those tried and trues, like absolutely, but don't get down on yourself if they aren't working. And I, I would just say, don't stress out about it. And especially when it comes to things like that are so 
preference oriented, like I'm going to say dipping sauces, okay? Or blandness and sweetness versus saltiness and spice or whatever. I do think that sometimes there is this like um, these generalizations applied to kids that don't always make sense. Like some kids, Clara hates ketchup and ranch. And I remember kind of just lazily trying to get her to try stuff. And it was kind of like she had to be like three years old and probably looked at me and said like in a full paragraph with, you know, long (laughs) words like, mother, what's wrong with you? Hasn't it become clear now? I don't like ketchup and I don't like ranch. She didn't say it quite like that, but it was sort of, you know, she wrinkled up her little nose at me one day and was just like, I'm never going to like this. Like, like, stop giving it to me. And I think I just saw her cousins who, if they just smothered stuff in ketchup and ranch, they would eat it. And I was just like, but that's what, and this was my fifth kid. It's not like I didn't know better, but I fell into those patterns too. And I'm like, well, if I just smother this vegetable and, you know, sauce and, and ketchup, Clara will go for it. No, she was not having it. On the other hand, the other thing that she did go for was calling everything chicken for a little <laughs> while. So anything I put on her plate, I would just say, that's chicken fish. That's chicken <laughs> broccoli. And she would eat it. So you just don't even know like what particular trick is going to work with your toddler's, you know, jacked up little brain. Um, yep. But don't feel like those tried and trues are gospel. They're not. No, they're not. But they might be worth a try. Um, right. I totally for years kept trying to give Reed blander and blander versions of whatever we were eating (laughs) until one day we realized he likes hot sauce and he likes jalapenos. And I mean, he was probably six or seven by the time I realized I had been trying to blandify or kidify things for him when I actually should have been trying to boost their flavor. He really does. He has texture issues, which a lot of kids do. And so something like a chicken breast or even a beef patty that's bland, it's like all he can do is chew and feel the texture. Whereas if there is full flavor, it's somehow like, I don't know, it's like it wakes up his mouth or something and he can, he'll eat the, eat the protein more. So yeah, I fell into that a hundred percent thinking that kids like bland food when in fact my kid needed more flavor, not less. I love that. I have a couple other just little quick tips. Um, We touched on this earlier when you talked about like the division of responsibility. Um, And I've, again, come to this kind of late in parenting. So I will pass it on to you who are earlier on. But it's been really helpful to me to offer very little control to my children at the macro level of our meal plan. And by that, I mean, here's the meal plan. Here's what we're having for the next five days. That's not up for discussion. Um, because I think they feel they there's less room for discussion. Now, your toddler can't read a whiteboard, um, but even it might even help you to feel like you you set the parameters for your meal plan and you know what's happening and then have lots of control and flexibility at the individual kid level. So I have a kid who will put almost everything in a tortilla. I don't care. This is fine with me because we've still only cooked one thing and it is not a hill I'm going to die on to demand that everybody eat it in the same format. Do you know what I mean? Well, they're like, not that's rejecting like, your food. They just no. want a different presentation. Exactly. So <laughs> yes. I, to me, I think, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more mm, strict is not the right word, but I'm going to be really clear about what's happening at the higher level. And the kids aren't going to have a lot of it's, they're not going to have a lot of say or control at the macro level, but I'm going to give them as much as I feel comfortable with at the micro level and thinking about control in those two kind of um, almost yin and yang ways has been really helpful. And and the corollary to that or going along with that is I've had to learn to be okay if a kid goes to bed a little bit hungry. It's not a punishment. It's not some big power struggle thing. 
But there are nights where a kid at my table doesn't eat very much. And I know tomorrow we're going to really dig into like how dinner's not the only meal of the day, but it's okay. Like it's okay if that kid isn't super full or even a little bit full at the end of that meal, because that's not their only meal of the day. And it's not their only dinner of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that like, it's kind of that figuring out what is worth it to you to take ownership of. And also, can I also say, I don't think kids want to have control over literally everything. I think that's very overwhelming for a kid. So like if they suddenly got to decide, um, actually, I don't want you to make pork chops and cauliflower tonight. Okay. What do you want? Yeah. Well, I mean, would it just always be tacos or like, would it, would they get like going the spiral of stress? Like they don't necessarily want to actually have, Hey, listen, we don't always want the level of control that we have. Right. So they wouldn't either. So it's like, I love that idea that they are allowed to have control. It's like giving, you know, red shirt or blue, but not like what outfit do you want to piece together out of everything in your closet today? Um, same again, it's, it's that whole idea that we've been touching on that, like, none of this is that different from other parts of parenting. It's just more loaded because there's nutrients involved. Right. Agreed. And, and because I, I really think that in the toddler stage, you're coming off this year of feeding an infant who has very little opinion once they learn to suck, swallow, and what is it like suck, swallow, breathe, like it's like, they're pretty good to go for a while. So it's, It's a learning curve um, because as we've talked about these extra variables, I will just offer one more thing. And that is to think about your own eating, your idiosyncratic eating patterns yourself and, and think about as a parent um, or as just as an adult, as a human, how you too might go through phases of eating more, eating less, having strong preferences, changing your preferences. And just remember that our kids are, they, they have their whole lives ahead to go through these phases. And I bet if you think about it, you also, like you said, Megan, you were pickier as a kid and and grew to like other things. I think it's helpful to remember these aren't like robots or like a like a plant project, like a like a garden. It's, right. it's dynamic humans that we're talking with uh, talking about here. Um, and then I, I guess for us in our family, modeling just excitement and joy around food and getting excited about trying things at a friend's house or at a restaurant. So like in our family, I I think a lot about kind of modeling a very interested, interesting life around food um, in terms of what we try and where we go and eating with friends. And I've noticed that my kids will often try something they've never tried before at a party or a gathering or a potluck. You know, it might look different. Um, it might be a little bit of peer pressure. It might be the only option. So I think um, if you're just at the beginning of all this, it can seem so myopic because it's you and your kids and your high chair and your fridge and your stove every night. But mm-hmm. thinking about this like broader world out there, you might be able to stretch your pickier eaters just by modeling like an interested, interesting life around food yourself. Totally agree. And it occurs to me too that so much of what you just described is really around manners. Um, just being around other people and being interested and willing to try their food when it's not your mom, Uh, you know, kids should have manners with their moms too, but it's easier to forget about that. Right. But that's probably not something they're going to, they they're watching you and they'll absorb it. They're Mm -hmm. not going to show that at this age. They don't care what you think about what they eat or what, you know, if you brought them to a friend's house, they're not going to care what your friend thinks about how they feel about what the friend (laughs) serves. Like they just, they're just not there yet. But I do think that all that modeling helps them get there yeah. and it becomes not only a food culture thing, but like, um, yeah, just like good manners, good, good breeding and good practice. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I know that we talked at the top of the show about 
the word picky and picky eating as a, as a term um, or a label. And I know we both said like, we do think it sometimes applies and it kind of depends what you even mean by it. Like, how do you even define that? But it can be kind of a trap. And I think it's, it is important to kind of at least mention that sometimes if you jump on things that are really quite normal um, and then use that to label your toddler as picky, then you could kind of fall into this place where you're like, well, why bother? You know, right. she's not going to eat it. Why, yeah. why offer this? Why offer the broccoli? Why, why do anything but the breaded nuggets? And, and I guess I would say, you know, sometimes you can even make micro changes. Like maybe your kid only likes, will only eat chicken nuggets. Well, will they eat a piece of chicken breast without the breading? It's worth trying. Like, yeah. what is it that's about that breading that they like? Um, what is it about the nuggets, the, the nuggetized? food that they like, or, you know, the fact that like, whatever the thing is, I think there's ways to play within the structure of what already works while also keeping a really open mind. And then maybe not putting too much of that pressure of the label on either of you, because it might yep. not be accurate in a month or two, or yep. it might not really be accurate at all. It might just be that they have preferences. Yeah. I think everything we've talked about today, um, hopefully leads to this idea of leaving room to be surprised. Um, because things will change and um, kids will one day try the thing you thought they'd never try or change their mind about something that they swore off. So I think mm -hmm. it's as hard as hard as it is staying open and curious and like we've been saying, kind of non-attached um, is what leaves that door open to be surprised. And I was laughing Well, I told the story about how Reed, like literally I could have probably been putting hot sauce on like Tabasco <laughs> on vegetables since he was two. And he would have, I'm telling you, eaten a lot more vegetables as a toddler and preschooler. Um, but well, just think how much healthier and smarter he could be, Sarah. I mean, he, he would have totally been kidding. six foot five. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but I, th I don't think I'm alone in that. I think uh, the, right. our friends at Baby Center did a little like poll where they asked people like, what will your toddler not eat? But then what will they eat? And some of them are so funny, like won't eat chicken nuggets, but will eat Brussels sprouts. So their their preferences are so nonsensical, but but leaving room for that. But like, hey, turns out she will eat an entire bowl of frozen peas not cooked, which is Violet. Violet would even after those high chair years, she would continue to eat an entire bowl of frozen peas, but wouldn't touch whatever. Mac and yeah, cheese. so it's not even that she didn't like healthy foods. She just only liked specific healthy foods. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah, that's, uh, I think that's actually pretty accurate for most of us. Uh, it's just that as adults, we've kind of figured out workarounds that we get, we get to decide what we eat, right? Uh, there's no one like standing over our shoulders asking why we're not eating X, Y, and Z because we would never put it on the plate to begin with. So, right, exactly. Yeah. So when I'm looking at the comments in this Facebook thread on Baby Center's page, one that jumps out at me is she won't eat most vegetables, but she will eat spinach straight out of the bag like potato chips. Okay. <laughs> just go my with toddler, that then. Like just, right, we'll just go with a bag of spinach. Yes. Right. Or my toddler won't eat ice cream, but will eat whole apples. This one's funny. My toddler won't eat pasta, but will eat flowers out of the yard. So you can't say that that toddler is not, is not an adventurous eater. Right. Eating a flower is pretty adventurous. Yeah. <laughs> It's vegetation right it there, is. right? So it's yeah. farm to table right there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we will link up this Facebook thread in the show notes for this episode. It's just right, right in the description area, wherever you are listening. Um, you will feel validated. There, there are many toddlers out there not eating some things, but randomly eating bags of spinach. 
Yes. And sometimes the things that they won't eat aren't things you want them to eat anyway. And the things that they just can't get enough of apparently are quite healthy. So I love it. Well, okay. As we wrap up the second episode in our toddler feeding challenges series, we want to thank our content partners over at Baby Center and our sponsor, Horizon Organic. Yeah, definitely check the show notes wherever you're listening for more about both Baby Center and Horizon Organic. And you can find out more about all the Growing Years products, including Growing Years Whole Milk at horizon.com slash growing years. Again, that's horizon.com slash growing years. All right, everyone. If you happen to miss yesterday's episode, you're going to want to cue that one up right now and then check back with us tomorrow when we'll be talking about all the many meals and snacks throughout the day and how to work nutrition in all day long. We'll talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hi, everyone. Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.